Welcome, everyone, to Good Night and Good Game, your source for geek news for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Hector. Hello. This week on the show, after the news, we will be discussing E3 being canceled and what it has meant to us over the years. Don't forget, before we start, you can head over to goodnight.gg, where as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. We have our uh, American Mary episode up for our patrons, and as we are going to like a bi-monthly kind of thing, expect more Patreon episodes. We've recorded several. They're in the chamber, and they will be up shortly. Any week that we are not on the air, expect a Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. With all that out of the way, time for the prelude. Prelude. Hey everyone, welcome to the Prelude. It's time to dive into what we've been up to this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time, and what has been making us happy. Hector, what do you have for me? Oh man, so um, I uh, the first thing I want to talk about is I started playing the Resident Evil 4 remake. Oh boy. It's, it's that bad? Oh. <laughs> Resident Evil 4 is one of those perfect games in your memory. Mm-hmm. It's um, obviously it gave us everything without Resident Evil 4 remake. There is no, um, you know, Gears of War. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. There, there's no, uh, you know, behind the shoulder third person action. Yep. Uh, there's no dead space. Certainly mm-hmm. there's, um, uh, there, there's so many games that I'm, that I'm just having a hard time thinking of it. Just right before COVID remnant from the ashes. Mm-hmm. Like like a thousands of games have come out because of what Resident Evil 4 did. Without mm. Resident Evil 4, there's no God of War 2018. There's no God of War Ragnarok. Right. That's how far this influence goes. Mm. That's how much of a game this was when it came out. Right. The remake, it's it, it's fucking better. <laughs> it, it, it's just better. It's just better. Yeah, like, like it takes everything about that game mm. and it improves it. And it does tiny things to change the gameplay just so that people who fucking love this game and like maybe play it once a year mm-hmm. and have it memorized, people who speed run the original mm-hmm. would like suddenly lose all their confidence and suddenly be like, oh God, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking scared again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I might get hurt again. There's just enough new stuff to make you curious. There's just enough newness to the mechanics, like being able to move and shoot. Yeah when you couldn't before being able to parry with a knife, a knife that has durability. So you can't just parry everything. You have to pick and choose. Do I parry this ax coming at me or do I really need to save that durability in case there's a fucking new chainsaw guy around the corner? Ooh, okay. Not every, all the enemies aren't all where they used to be either. Mm -hmm. Surprises around every corner. But all the humor is still there. All the one-liners are still there. The costumes. The game doesn't take itself too seriously. It's okay. still the kind of game you want to beat and immediately play, like, uh, the game again with all your gear on all again. Right. You know, like, it's such an amazing update. And I know I recently just said this about um, the Dead Space remake. But mm. it, it's fucking true. Like, these these games are really hitting it out of the park in the remake department. And, you know, we were we were worried about Dead Space, but I was never really worried about RE4 just because Capcom is sure. on such a they've been, they've been doing, yeah. But I mean, you know what, though, when you say that, but people had a lot of critical things to say about the Resident Evil 3 remake. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, you know, I feel like RE3, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a hater on this game, mm-hmm. uh, but RE3 had far, far less of an audience than RE2 or RE4. Okay, in, sure. in, in my estimation, there were the diehard... Um, uh, 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 what was the Sega Dreamcast fans? It was like Code Veronica or Get the Fuck Out. Right. And so when RE3 came out, it was kind of not too long after RE2. So like a bunch of people picked it up, but not everyone picked it right. up. Right. So when the remake came out, 
And it uh, to me, it didn't really do the same things that the Resident Evil 2 remake did with like reimagining and recontextualizing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like like the third one felt a little bit off to me. Okay. Four is better than the two remake to mm-hmm. me. And that's saying a lot. Because the two remake did that thing where you like remember the game this way, even though it was obviously a very different kind of unplayable in modern times game. <laughs> right, Resident right. Resident Evil Two is, um, but yeah, a Resident Evil Four remake truly spectacular. Can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Um, still playing it right now. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm about halfway through. I'm about to get to the castle. Mm-hmm. I've already got Ashley. Ashley's better. They made Ashley better. That's good. Ashley is nice. fun. She, she, she doesn't proposition me for sex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, she doesn't, uh, she, she, she's not wearing the, she's wearing a skirt. Mm-hmm. So I can't just like, Oh, you're crawling up a ladder. Let me perv on you a little right, bit. Right. Right. You know, there's none of that. It, it, it's great. I love Everything that. Everything seems updated and modern. The, 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 the sales guy is still like shifty and he still mm-hmm. wants to like, you know, sell you shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, what are you buying? And, and, and you get the whole feel of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's It's been. I love it. Both nostalgic and also challenging and also still very scary at certain times. Um, just wonderful all around. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm trying to think of like some stuff that we watched or that I watched. Um, it's mostly just been Resident Evil 4. Sure. Like, like, I don't think I've been watching anything, like, too unique lately. Um, I'm back on Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, the, the this last season of Doom Patrol has been very good. I'm about halfway through it. Uh, yeah, but that's that's pretty much it. Lots of Resident Evil 4. Okay. I moved recently, so forgive me. And, uh, you know, I'm back on the Overwatch train, so I've been playing that. Yep. So just not a lot to report. I, I moved homes. I moved literally everything I owned from one place to another. It <laughs> sucks. Do not recommend. But, but you're, I love where I live. <laughs> you're my neighbor now, yeah, so. Yeah, but I I'm, but great. I'm a neighbor now. I'm wearing sweatpants because I walked <laughs> over here from my house. Yep, it's great. It's great. Uh, let's see here. Over on my side of the world, also in the world of remakes, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am playing the Dead Space remake because yes. I had never played Dead Space before. Ah. Um, so you're playing the Dead Space this is my first time with Dang. Dead Space. Yeah. yeah. I'm playing Dead Space Remake. Um, you know, you've been kind of telling me about the differences as I've been playing through it. I'm on chapter four or five, I want to say. Nice. So I'm pretty far into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's I'm taking my time with it. I'm not trying to rush it. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not. I'm like, I'm trying to explore every area and get the nuance of it. And yeah, it has a really good pacing for making you feel very powerful at places and also mm-hmm. making you feel very weak at places. Yeah. Um, like all good horror does. The other thing that I've been playing, also a remake. Um, I started playing the Act Razor remake on my Switch. Yeah. Um, the Act Razor remake is available for multiple platforms, but I wanted a Switch game for when I'm on my couch. And I loved Act Razor growing up, even though I didn't have a Super Nintendo. Um, and it is everything and more. It's kind of the way that you describe Resident Evil, the, re- the remake for that mm-hmm. one, is it it plays like I remember, but it has new rules. Like the sim aspect of, because if you don't know Act Razor, yeah. Act, Razor Act Razor takes places in, in two different genres. Yeah. There's the action genre and the sim genre. And, and um, uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know, it did... It, Tell them when this game came out. This, I mean, this was like a 90s game. This it's is SNES. Yeah, it's yeah. an SNES game. So, yeah. so when you say action, you're talking about 2D side scroller. It's, it's side scroller, platformer, yeah. that kind of action. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you go through those sections and then you go to a town and you build up the town and the town, you get a lot of plot about what's going on in the world. And then you will eventually open up the second act of the town. And then that's where you go fight the boss for that area to clear that area. Okay. Um, this game takes all of that 
sim aspect because that's one of the things that people loved about the first one so much but it was such a brief thing that happens it was a very minor sim factor to it okay and they didn't make it complicated this isn't sim city this isn't you know fucking this or it isn't like a civilization or something right it's just a bit more advanced and you spend a little bit more time doing the sim stuff. Would you say and, it's like having like um you know how you have to like develop a town in like the old Assassin's Creed games or something sure. like that? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah, you're, you're taking well, your like time. You're doing it, but it's not the whole game. Yeah, it's not the whole game. Um, there's a little bit more time spent doing it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, there is one story beat that I am really... I'm going to come back to ActRaiser when I finish it and talk about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. There's one story beat I'm really concerned they're not going to hit from the original. And mind you, this is a Super Nintendo game. <laughs> the amount of story is low. Mm-hmm. But this one particular story beat is very sad. And if they decided to remove it from the game... I'll be kind of upset because that was one of the things that really made the game for me back in the day was, oh my God, I'm playing a game on a fucking Super Nintendo that's making me upset. Oh, yeah. And so I'm afraid they're not going to hit that story beat, but we'll see. Uh, and that's everything that I've been doing. Like, I, we've um, been playing Overwatch. We had other things going on. We watched John Wick 4. We did watch John Wick 4. Yeah. Won't spoil it for you. Yeah. Um, watch John Wick 4. Spoilers. Eat people die in that movie. Yeah, like like just everybody fucking dies. People die in that movie. At one point, Keanu Reeves says, yeah. Yeah. And um, other than that, fucking A+, most popular movie in America right now for a great reason, uh, for lots of fucking great reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, just go watch it. Absolutely. You know, add to the pile. These people deserve all your money. Absolutely. All right, that is everything that we have for the prelude this week. We're going to take a small break. When we come back, we'll be going into the news in the weekly raid. The Weekly Raid. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's time for the Weekly Raid, your roundup of this week's geek news. Kicking things off this week, Japanese master of horror Junji Ito is getting his manga, Bloodsucking Darkness, adapted to a film from Fangoria Studios. Quote, The original story follows Nami, a young woman who develops an eating disorder following a bad breakup and begins to vomit blood. Things take an eerie turn when a boy in her class starts obsessing over her health and goes to horrific measures to help her out. She begins to have nightmares about blood raining down on her and a terrifying vampire face menacing her only to wake up with the bed covered in blood every time. Yeah, we've um, one of the first episodes I ever did with y'all, you know, back before episode 200. Um, we're on 465. Uh We've been doing this a while, my friend. We've been friend. doing this a little while. Um, uh, one of the first episodes I ever did with y'all, I we, we were talking about horror and comics and games, and I brought up Junji Ito. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, his horror is all like this. It's mm-hmm. all like, hey, there's something normal going on that's really disturbing and probably subject matter I don't really want to talk about. And then we're going to fucking make it horror. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, like I know you're already uncomfortable, but now I'm going to just give you a monster you don't know the rules for, who's mm-hmm. going to like eat your toes and shit. They just don't give you the rules for it. Yeah, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just uh, Junji Ito is amazing. I cannot wait for this thing. Yeah. I cannot wait for everything he does. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's the, <laughs> he is simply one of the like sweetest people you'll ever see in an interview. He really is. And then you like he just watch, loves cats. Yeah, yeah. And then you watch him draw, and you're like, "What in the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Why would you show that to me?" <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Thank you, Fangoria Studios, for for trying to... I, I'm wondering if it will translate. I don't know, because if you've ever seen his comics, you're just like, I don't know if you can translate that. Right, like, and the, the thing about his comics is that he's, he's such a fucking amazing mangaka that, like, he is a master, absolute master of the page turn. Mm-hmm. But, like, the, the thing that really scares you in his comics is, like... You have to turn the page. Like, like I know... I know when I turn, like, I, I'm already fucking suspensed off my ass, mm-hmm. ready to shit my pants, and I know I'm going to turn this page. Yep. I'm going to fucking hate myself. Yep. Like, that is amazing. And, That's his like, trick. Yeah, and, and it's it, it's hard to recreate. Uh, recently, there were some uh, anime released based on some of his older work, and it, like, the, the people who, who weren't familiar with him at all really liked it. And the people who were fans of his comics were like, they did it wrong. Yeah, they didn't edit it correctly or something. They they missed the part where it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, and yeah, I I just hope that this because like you said, it's hard to translate. I hope that they just mm-hmm. get someone who's amazing at who is as amazing at making horror action as he is at drawing horror and making you turn pages. Like yeah. that's what you need. You need another master. Absolutely. HBO Max is working on a prequel series to the 2017 It film. Um, based on the Stephen King story. It'll be called Welcome to Dairy. It'll take place in the 1960s and will be leading up to the events of It Part 1. Sources are saying that part of the project will be about the origin of Pennywise the Clown. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, that's, and what I mean is I don't know if I want this. Right. Um, I, I mean, I love it. I I, I loved the two part, um, you know, the new one. So I didn't see the second part and I think it fell apart during the, fell asleep during the first one. Oh, okay. Uh, In my defense, lots of wine. Um, I want to go back and watch those. Yeah, we'll have to go and do that before, uh, before this comes out. Yeah. My thing about this series, and this is kind of going to what we were just talking about with Junji Ito. Pennywise, I've read the book It several times. Mm-hmm. Pennywise is an eldritch god. Mm-hmm. He is a Lovecraftian being that we are only seeing a form of that is that is not what the thing is. Right. I don't know if we need an origin story for an eldritch creature. Exactly. That, that's kind of exactly where I am on this. I... Um, and I don't want to like, like a lot of people have made this point, but I'm just going to go ahead and make it again. There are too many things in Hollywood right now. And then the TV shows, movies, obviously, where everything has to be a franchise or yep. a series or a sequel or a prequel. Um, mm-hmm. Horror was really one of the last spaces we had where we got like really solid and, and obviously indies too, really solid original ideas, original IPs, singular stories that could be done in one movie, one and done. There's so much good content there. And the more you let that stuff out into the universe, out into the world, out into the public eye, the more creative everybody gets. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's almost like whatever the opposite of public domain is. Because when things go into the public domain, suddenly you get old characters that have, like, a lot of really great um, new blood, you know, new life breathed into it. Um, and that, that's what we need, especially in horror, all the time. Yep. We all know that, like, by the time you get to Friday the 13th, 
15 mm-hmm. and Nightmare on M Street 12. Jason and Freddy aren't scary anymore. Right. They're basically caricatures. The fact that Scream has managed to keep this shit going is impressive. Exactly. And it's because, like, someone with a knife is always going to be a little scary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they, they always try and trick you and keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. The 14th time Jason runs at you with, with a machete, you're like, I mean, if I had, like, a spear or just, like, a yeah. long stick, I could probably be okay. Mm-hmm. You know? And like we were just talking about Junji Ito, you don't mm. know the rules because he doesn't like throw the same creature at you 15 right. times in a row. Yep. Um, and I'm not saying that's what this is. I'm not even saying this will be bad. I'm just saying I, like perhaps our efforts are best spent elsewhere mm-hmm. if we're going to be, you know, investing in horror, investing in horror. Yeah, sure. Horror is the refuge for people who just want original, sometimes very much short form stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Think about like how much anthology horror there is versus how much anthology literally anything else there is. It's true. Absolutely true. And, you know, sometimes you need original concepts. And speaking mm-hmm. of original concepts, Paramount is working on a new R-rated horror film called Oregon Trail. Oregon. Oregon Trail, with a cast of actors who have been in everything from Southbound to Man in the High Castle. Quote, this film finds a young Abigail Archer friendless and alone in a brutal Montana winter, uh, Montana winter in the 1870s, fighting for survival and to retrieve her one earthly possession, her family's horse, from a gang of bloodthirsty bandits. I'm going to, like, I have to make a she dies of dysentery joke. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You tell me that this is called Oregon Trail and and, and it's not going to end up with zombies. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, straight up. um, It it sounds fun. Yeah. Again, original idea. Sounds very cool. Um, Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Sign me up. But we have to go back to the well sometimes. Of course. Which is why Netflix has announced a new animated Scott Pilgrim series. The series will reunite the entire film cast with Edgar Wright serving as producer. I mean, that's brilliant. I don't, like, there, there was never more Scott Pilgrim, as far as I know. There was Scott Pilgrim, and then that was Right, it. right. There was. But the thing of it is, when the Scott Pilgrim mo- uh, movie was being made, the books had not finished yet. Correct. And they had to just cut tons, tons of it out of the movie for, like, it was not entire characters, like, yeah. Yeah, like, there was, a, there are a lot of special effects in that movie, and you can say that movie was, like, fairly big. They didn't have mecha robot money. Right. You know, they had like cool special effects money. Mm-hmm. Um and don't get me wrong, that movie fucking rules. And and so does um so does a manga. But um yeah, I mean this sounds great. It sounds like a great way to get everyone's voices in and like animate everything and maybe even make it a little more faithful. Mm-hmm. Not that the movie needed that. The movie is great to stand on. I think its own. the thing that blows my mind about this the most is go and look at that cast. Yeah, for a lot who doesn't know, like just like Peak that cast. A lot of them were nobodies. Absolute nobodies. You have at least minimum two Marvel heroes, main entry heroes, yep. in that movie. Yeah, Brie Larson was nobody. Yep. Chris, Chris Evans, Evans was nobody. Nobody. The most famous person in that movie at the time was Michael Sarah. Yeah. I mean, you, have, you have a Superman in there too. Yeah, you absolutely have a Brandon Rolf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he was Superman. He's done a bunch of shit since then. Mm-hmm. He was the Adam, you know? Yep. Uh, man, yeah. Uh, Aubrey Plaza right. absolutely blowing up right now yep. she's in that Anna Kendrick amazing also mm-hmm. in that um, holy crap Karrion Culkin yeah. um, in succession yep. going 
nuts. One of the biggest shows out there right yeah, now. Yeah, one of the absolute biggest shows out there. But plays an amazing character in that. Yeah. Well, yeah, Wallace is like the best character in the entire yeah. series. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, also mm-hmm. just one of my absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, she hasn't done a ton lately, but she's still very good. My only nervousness about this is this is going to be on Netflix. <laughs> And like, well, hopefully it, they do it all at once, so we don't have to wait right, for a sequel. Do it all at once, and or it has to do enough numbers that it will get a second season. Because yeah. holy fucking shit! Yeah, no, straight up, like it's, uh, yeah, it's that the cast is stacked to the ceiling. Absolutely, uh, Legendary Entertainment, the company behind Detective Pikachu and the Warcraft movie, announced mm. this week that they are currently working on a new Street Fighter movie. God damn it! No plot details have been released at this time. All we know for sure is that it won't take much to be better than the 1994 film okay so like same pro- let's talk about the 1994 film and, 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 do we do we talk about it and then and then well because here's the thing plot details have not been released for street fighter ever <laughs> like there are no plot details for street fighter one through street fighter what are we about to get six yeah we don't have them there are no plot details M. Bison wants to rule something. Um, Sagat is around. Vega is on one of the sides. Um, Ryu and, and Ken are brothers somehow. One of them is very Japanese, the other one very white. They're not brothers. They're they, just, they, they train together. Sure, but like what? The Street Fighter animated movies have always had a good plot. Really? Yes, the animes are good. But what is the plot? Is it Bison trying to take over the world and I, they're fighting I, him? I, well, yes. that was the plot of the movie. Yeah, that was that the plot. That was the plot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's no plot details were given because <laughs> because you're, the plot of Street Fighter is that one is it, Daigo winning a tournament by blocking every hit. That's the plot of Street Fighter. So, I mean... Make another Warcraft movie. The Warcraft movie was fucking awesome, and I will fight anyone who has uh, who says <laughs> otherwise. That movie ruled. Do another one. Why, why Street Fighter? Mor- it, look, The Last of Us had a plot. That's why we turned it into a thing. Mortal Kombat was good. Mortal Kombat, again, same thing. Like, they, yeah, I know. Someone's trying to take over something, and other people have to that, fight that them for it. That is literally the plot of, of Mortal Kombat. Yep. Yeah, and that's that, that's the plot of most fighting games. Because what else are you gonna do? <laughs> What's the plot of Guilty Gear? Probably the same shit. Yeah, if, if it's in there, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'll watch it. I love I love anime about people fighting. It's mm. usually very good. There's no plot in them. I've watched three King of Fighters animes. Mm. They're all incredibly entertaining. I don't know the plot of any of them. One of them was about Armor of God. One of them was about a German who liked to play the accordion. <laughs> Not the accordion, sorry. The church organ. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, I don't know what the plot was. Oh, um, I think Terry Bogard learned what a tornado was or something. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, maybe we don't need to make any kind of long-form entertainment about the plots of fighting games. Mm, I don't mean to be negative. Like I'll watch it. But I'm down for another Street Fighter movie. Yeah, I mean it's it's cool. Um, maybe uh, can we just get John Claude Van Damme to voice Kyle? <laughs> like just for shits. Like the rest of it can be exactly what they want. But give me John Claude. Van I Damme think this is Kyle. gonna be live action. So oh yeah, this is gonna be live action. See, this is the part where I like make cringe face because <laughs> if it's live action, it's just the, the the action isn't gonna match what we see in game. Yeah. I guess we'll see. And we will see. Yeah. Do you remember what Raul Julia looked like doing the bison charge? The bison <laughs> charge. 
I just did. That hasn't gotten better. I have got to tell you, though, of all the things in that fucking movie, the most iconic is the whole Raul Julius speech to Chung Lee, where he's just like, oh, yeah, that was the day that Bison, like when he we were talking about like her village being destroyed, like oh, yeah. that's the day that your village was graced by Bison. For me, it was Tuesday. Like that burn is fucking chef's kiss legendary. Holy fucking shit. One of the best lines in movies Mm -hmm. ever made. Truth. In that fucking piece of shit movie. Yep. All right. We've been having a lot of fun, Hector. Mm -hmm. We got to get dark for a few minutes. I hate hate to do it. it Let's bring it down for a notch. All right. So. The Game Developers Conference should be a time of celebration as some of the best minds in the gaming industry come together to swap stories and host panels of their amazing craft. Sadly, in the wake of this year's GDC, many allegations have come out. I'll let the tweet speak for itself. Quote, Women at GDC this year have been belittled and undermined in their roles, hit on relentlessly, and had their drinks spiked by predatory men. Two women were even lured up to a hotel room by a man in a position of power for a pitch and then he assaulted them. That's this year? This year. I mean, I, I, at this point, I say name names. Yeah. Like straight up. Just name names, ruin the multi-million dollar project they're working on. Mm-hmm. Make sure they're fired. Make sure people boycott the game anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, just fucking ruin these people's lives. Yeah. Ruin these companies' businesses. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? Burn it down. Yeah, burn it all down. I mean, yeah. No uh, one and, should have to go through that. Yeah, all the women unionize in the company and just refuse to go to work until those people are fired. Mm. Like, like straight up. Like, collective action is the only thing we can do anymore yeah. about this shit. This is nonsense. Yeah. Um, men, what is wrong with you? What did men are not okay? They're very, very bad right now. If this is the people making video games, like, fuck, man, come on. Ubisoft Paris, the developers of the Just Dance series, have opened up about the working conditions at their office. Employees are explicitly encouraged, in air quotes, to work overtime from 13 to 15 hour days. Some employees reported working even longer than that. Also, management often tries to force their ideas into the new iteration of the game, many of these requests being impossible to achieve. The developers at Ubisoft Paris want to delay Just Dance 2023, but management insists it must be out by Christmas. Ubisoft has declined commenting on these reports. Yeah, if I if it came out that I had hired a bunch of people who don't know how a thing works to manage a team of people building that that exact thing, I would decline to comment too because it makes me look like a fucking idiot. I don't understand. I've never developed a video game in my life. I've never worked for a game development studio. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the culture works in most places, but it seems to me, and and I don't know why it's just dawning on me that this has always been the case, but since I was a kid, it seems to me that the game industry hires management over people making video games, like doing the real work to make video games who don't play video games and or don't know what makes them good or engaging or fun. Like, why would you hire a manager over like a a set of programmers or a set of artists or a set of scripters who don't know what fun art is or fun scripting is or or like good programming is and just say things like, well, what if this character flew? And, you know, they have to be like, it's a donkey and this is a game about farming. Like, like, what are you talking about? 
You know, the, the managers who were like, well, if we really want to make money, uh, maybe you should program in like an escape hatch or something right. like some nonsense idea. Some, some you have people that seem like project managers that have not been in the games industry that were hired because they were project managers. Right. Like someone who's like, yeah, his thing is he's really good at scrum and he's yeah. been developing like the back end API of, you know, like. I don't know, a random app. fucking shipping software yeah. or something. And he was great at that. And he made it very efficient. Good for fucking that guy. Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't play video games and he doesn't know what makes him fun. How uh, is this a thing? How about every game studio promotes management from within their own teams mm-hmm. who know how the work is good, knows how to make it efficient so you don't work your workers to death and doesn't suggest stupid shit? Mm-hmm. Like, how is... Uh, I don't I know. Understand. I understand. I get it. I, I feel the, the, all the of calls that. coming from inside the house, Ubisoft. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I want to take a minute here because it's really easy for the gamers TM to look at this and go, you know, oh my God, just dance might get delayed. First off, these are human fucking beings. Yeah, at work. These are people that making this game is their livelihood. Mm-hmm. A game, by the way, that is wildly successful. Oh, yeah. So successful. Has been for a decade. So successful. They still put out iterations of it on the fucking Wii. Yep. Right? These people make multi a multi-million dollar game. Do not fucking dismiss these people just because they make what you consider to be a quote-unquote kids game. Yeah. These, these are human well beings. Like Madden or like NCAA or something. You know, right. like these are, you can say whatever you want about the quality of these games, but people fucking buy them. Right. And people, human beings made them. Yeah. Which means they deserve to be treated well. Mm-hmm. No matter what title it is they're working on. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get away from this tough news. I want to try and celebrate the games industry where we can. Mm -hmm. So CD Projekt Red, the developer behind the Witcher series and Cyberpunk 2077, have instituted what they are calling menstrual leave for their employees. Quote, we are proud to offer menstrual leave to employees. Team members can now focus on their comfort and health by taking time off when suffering from period pain. It is all about inclusivity and fostering a supportive workplace. End quote. This will permit employees to take as much time off as they need, whether it be a few hours or entire days. Additionally, menstrual leave will be fully paid, ensuring employees don't feel pressured to work through their period pain or are financially burdened by taking time off work. This comes in on the heels of CD Projekt Red publicly promising that they will not utilize crunch practices during game development. I mean, fucking good. Like, all I can say is, like, the bar is obviously under the floor, right? <laughs> right for right for most of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. I mean, yeah, no crunch. This is, you know, just human fucking decency. Mm-hmm. Let's th- thank you. Good, good policy. Human fucking decency at work. Right now, they're like, hey, you know what? If you feel like shit for literally any reason, because I mean. It almost sucks that they even have to name it because right. like, when, when when I feel like shit, I just, you know, would call into work. And this is my whole history of working, not just now. You call and you say, hey, I feel like shit. I'm not going to be able to function at work today. Yep. Like, like, I shouldn't have to give an excuse that my penis is bleeding. Nope. Like, like it's, just, it's just a thing. This is a poor example, but it I'm going gonna, gonna to give an example here from, from our real life. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, I am Hector's boss currently. Yep. <laughs> there was a day... That Hector did not feel good. Mm. He literally messaged me and he was like, hey, I feel bad, but I do not, like, I personally feel bad. Like, I feel sick. I am going to stay home. There was no reason for me to question why. Yeah. You have stated how you feel. And I was just like, yes, take the time that you need to please get better. Yeah. Don't answer any messages. You know, I feel bad if I even have to message you when you're just like 
on an off day, right? right? Because that's just not what you do. You let your employees take the rest, get the relaxation they need. You don't push them hard. Mm. Like CD project red is doing amazing things. And there it's the, like you said, they're doing amazing things because the bar is so fucking low, right? Like human decency is not, is so hard to get in the games industry. Yeah. And, and the thing was, I, I had a, like, 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 like not to minimize how I felt that day, but like straight up, I had a fucking tummy ache, man. Yeah. And like, that's why I stayed home. If, if I had cramps that made me want to double over in pain and was bleeding from literally anywhere, mm -hmm. it would be much worse. And I would definitely fucking stay home. Mm -hmm. Like it, just, it, yes, this is good. And I want to celebrate it. And I do because it's a great policy and other companies should copy it. Right. But the real fucking human decency is just like, if you feel like shit, stay home. And the fact that they have to be like, and we'll still pay them, pat myself on right. the back. You should always get paid when you stay home from work. You yep. should get paid for every day that you're employed. Working hourly when you do something like make one of the most popular video games in the world mm -hmm. is horse shit. They should, be, they should pay you for the rest of your life. You should get royalties. Mm -hmm. You created something that made them billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And we'll continue to. And we'll continue to forever in this mm -hmm. franchise. Like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, good. Very, very good. I'm glad um, everyone do copy this and then maybe do even more. We should have mm -hmm. a competition. All the companies should be competing for who can give their employees the most shit because you will have all the best employees. The most positive shit, we're saying. Yeah, yeah, the, the most positive shit, yeah. The most vacation, the most freedom, like creativity, yeah. the most benefit for working for them and, and the ability to like openly pitch your own projects. Give them everything because you will just get the just best to throw this out there to throw this out there. Yes, there is a list that takes place every year of the worst companies to work for. Mm -hmm. But, but I, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you a secret. There is also a list of the best companies to work for. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And that's the list you want to be on. You want to be on that list because you won't have to look for people to work for you. Every they opening, will line up. Every opening, you will get thousands of applications to yep. pick through. It'll be amazing. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> just just be good to your people, man. Just be good, right? Programmers, artists, all of them are human beings. Yeah. Take care of them, please. All right. If you're an active player of the Warner Brothers multiverse fighting game, you need to know that the game will be going completely offline in June. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not permanent. The game will relaunch in 2024 with its official 1.0 release as currently the game is in beta. Mind you, Multiverses was one of 2022's most downloaded PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 games. Yep. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I played it myself. I yep. played it with a friend of mine who we both enjoy Smash very much. It was very, very cool. Um, Longtime listeners will remember me describing how amazing the animation on Tom and Jerry was. It really felt like these two characters were just being in the cartoon, running away from each other and like fighting each other. Mm. But they were a singular fighting game character yeah. that you were uh, fighting other characters with. And they never broke from looking like they were in a cartoon attacking each other. It breaks my brain to even describe it and to witness it on screen is even more cool. This was a very cool game with a ton of passion poured into it. The problem was... Because it came out in beta and they didn't really like update it as they went, it went from like one of the most played games to one of the least played games very quickly. And they're pulling it offline to see what they can do to fix it. It, I'm not sure it needs fixing. I like it needs more content, but genuinely, I think it just 
needs to to, to, co- to to a better marketing push. Yeah, it kind of feels like they just kind of left it out to die once it was in people's hands because they thought, oh, a couple million people are playing it. Our job is done. No, it's not. You didn't release the game. Right. Like this isn't the, the the forever early access stage of game development that we went through in the 2010s is over. People don't like that shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you, you release a whole game. That's what you did wrong. Yeah. Do that. All right. Last bit of news to talk about today. The National Labor Relations Board has filed a complaint against Activision Blizzard for illegally surveilling its employees and violating labor laws. Mm. Now, many of these charges are actually centered around July of uh, 2022 Mm -hmm. when employees engaged in a walkout. Mm -hmm. Uh, Activision Blizzard reportedly forbid workers from discussing any investigation of staff wages and working conditions, as well as allegedly threatening to cut off internal chat channels. Mm -hmm. During these walkouts, Activision Blizzard reportedly had PR staff on site um, for these these big walkouts. Um, According to Activision Blizzard, the staff were kept at a, quote, respectful distance from the employees on strike to assist media. Again, remember, these were things that happened in 2022 that they are now filing charges against. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So basically, I mean, what do you say? Um, a bunch of employees decided to walk out and strike and Blizzard decided that it was good policy to mandate that the employees that weren't striking stay away from the ones who were. Mm-hmm. Because we wouldn't want them talking to each other now, would we? They might convince them to strike. They might convince them how bad they were being fucked by the company because that's what they were out there striking to say. Right. They wanted to unionize. Yeah. We are all being fucked by this company and we don't have to be. This, I mean, it's straight up, like, like it's union busting. Like, it is. And and, and God, like, like, imagine a multi-billion dollar company breaking the law, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it, they do it every day. They do it all the time. No one ever goes to jail for it. They get a fine that costs them less than the money they saved by doing the crime. Right. This shouldn't be a thing, um, but it is because this is America and that's how we do business. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I hope they get taken all the way to court and, mm-hmm. you know, get sued into the ground. Um, I, I hope they just finally get bought by Microsoft and Microsoft says, hey, maybe we do good labor practices. Mm-hmm. Not that they're the king of labor practice or anything. They're not one of those best companies to work for, but they're a goddamn sight better than Activision Blizzard. Mm-hmm. And that's all I wanted for Activision Blizzard. Is Microsoft said at least as good as Microsoft. Hey, Microsoft said if you want to unionize. That is the workers' rights. Yeah, goddamn right. And hopefully it's more than lip service and they all get to do it. But just like at this point, again, and I haven't been the biggest proponent of this merger simply because I don't think Activision Blizzard should get away with everything they're doing by just like folding under a different umbrella. But at the same time, in order to protect the people who work there, just just let it happen. Just fire all of the management, uh, you know, from Activision Blizzard and, and, and give it to Microsoft and let them make things we want. It's true. And that's everything that we have for the news this week. Stick with us as we get into our main topic in the boss room. Boss room. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It is time for the boss room. Our main topic that is sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. Last year, it was reported that the Electronics Entertainment Expo, or E3, was going to finally come back after being dormant. Over the last few weeks, more and more game studios have publicly announced that they will not be attending this year's E3. Last week, it was announced that E3 2023 has officially been canceled. This week, we want to talk about E3 for a bit, from its personal impact in our lives to what finished it for good. So let's start with the positive. Let's talk about E3 and the positive. Mm -hmm. What did E3 mean to us 
personally growing up? Um, so I have a, have a bit of a story there. One of the first games I ever got for my PlayStation. Now, now just to, just to elongate this a little further. I played video games all throughout my childhood. My first console was an NES. Um, I had a Sega Genesis. And the, the Nintendo 64 was a big purchase for, for my mom. A single mother, raising a child by herself, putting him in good schools, etc., making sure I had a good education. Mm-hmm. Got a Nintendo 64, and that thing was the world to me. But, you know, played a bunch of games, etc. But at some point, th- this naughty little kid decided that he was in a grown-up now. And a grown-up kid needs a grown-up console, not mm-hmm. a console for babies. So. Right. You know, I, I found someone to buy my Nintendo 64 and like the games that I had for it. I went to go get a PlayStation and so I could play the adult games. And, you know, at that point, the adult games were like games with blood in them. And like Resident Evil 2 was one of my first PlayStation games. It was very, 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 very cool. Loved it. My next game was Metal Gear Solid. Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid was like an adult game. Yeah. Not just in the fact that it had like blood and shooting, but there were adult themes, you know, mm-hmm. can love bloom on the battlefield and espionage and mm-hmm. nuclear non-proliferation treaties. A word Holy that I fuck. didn't fucking know back then. Exactly. <laughs> like, like this game made me aware that we should like have countries not make nuclear weapons. Thank you, <laughs> that, that was a game that taught me that as long as your nuclear weapon isn't a rocket, you can just nuke things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> walking robots that, that, that are, you know, walking battle tanks would be a very big problem in warfare. The idea that, like, war can be waged by a company hiring soldiers. And, mm-hmm. like, what do you do with those soldiers? This game taught me so much shit growing up. Mm-hmm. Love that game to death. Game felt like a moment for me. Playing that game and, like taught me about how video games can be good in the same way that watching the movie Fight Club taught me at like what level movies can be good. Because mm-hmm. before that, all movies were either diehard or romantic comedies. Either they were boring or fun or for children because they were Disney movies. Now I can't stop watching Disney movies. <laughs> but I love, you know, movies with adult themes. Same for my video games. I love the fun, schlocky stuff, and I love the, like, really, like, intense stuff. Yeah. But... That, that, that's that, that's a, that's a bit of a tangent to tell you about E3. My first and biggest memory of E3 is one of the first years I ever knew it was a thing. Because after I played Metal Gear Solid, I got like went to GameStop and I wanted to find more games. And I got Game Informer magazine. And like one year there was the big E3 issue with all the things. Now, this is 12-year-old Hector with the internet when the internet went when I tried to dial into <laughs> when it, When right? it screamed when you dialed yeah. into it. I'm trying to explain to you how hard it was for me to download the videos that they showed journalists at E3 mm. off of IGN's joke of a website at the time mm-hmm. so that I could see footage of Metal Gear Solid 2. Mm-hmm. And it it was, I, I like dove into the internet to find ways to like rip these videos off of the website, you know, because it, 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 you could like download it, but you don't, you could only watch it in a special player mm-hmm. because they didn't want you to keep the videos. Right. So I had to like keep them because I wanted to watch them. And I watched those E3 
presentations of like MGS2 and like the rain hitting mm-hmm. Snake's shoulders and like, bouncing off of them as he like stands on that, you know, tanker ship. Um, him shooting an ice bucket and watching the ice melt and be- yeah. me thinking like, oh my God, this is the real world. It's a simulation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all in the Matrix. I, like I probably had like 10 videos from that E3 downloaded, which represents about 14 days of download time on the yep. internet. And I watched those videos each and every one of them probably once a week until the next mm. E3. I, that's how much I loved E3. From then on, every year there was an E3, I was watching it. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, reading every article I could. I, I was into, like, games journalism for the first time, which you could really only get online or in a magazine you got from GameStop or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or Barnes & Noble for me. I lived in a place that wasn't incredibly literate, so there were, like, two sources of media. Um, lo- like, I remember when... Um, you know, PlayStation Magazine used to come with a disc. And I remember, like, two E3s later, when they had those um, cameras that you would push around that could, like, 3D scope an area. Mm-hmm. And someone walked one of them some bitches through the E3 space to, like, look at all the demos and, like, mm-hmm. all the, like, pomp and circumstance and, like, $15 million, like, statues and, like, displays that they had of games that were coming out just so they could sell them. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I must have gone through the thing on that CD for my PlayStation 2 over and over and over again from, like, each angle. Because you could just turn the stick on your PlayStation and it would, like, show you where on the camera you were seeing things. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was at E3. And, mm-hmm. like, my little 14-year-old ass was, like, having a dream. Mm-hmm. I loved it. This was my future. All I wanted to do in my life at the time was like be cool enough to be at E3 mm-hmm. so I could like play games early. I didn't know about nerd funk or standing in line or mm-hmm. or, or how much it sucks to be a games journalist at the time. Yep. And now uh, I, I all I wanted to do was be there, be a part yep. of the action, be in the E3. It meant so, so much to me. And even even to this day, like, like even just a few years ago, like pre-pandemic, we were still like... Like doing E3 stuff, mm-hmm. you and I and Tony went to a movie theater to watch Sony's presentation mm-hmm. um, like five or six E3s ago. That's yep. how cool that was. We yep. had special press passes to go. Yep. We had like tickets and shit. It was, it, uh, yeah, E3 is a big fucking deal. Was always a big fucking deal to me. I think for me, when you say, what did E3 mean to you growing up? I, I'm going to rewind a little bit. I'm going I'm to give you a little bit of history about me. When I was a kid, before there was an E3, mm-hmm. I used to, to date myself, um, used to record a lot of things on cassette tape mm-hmm. and I would record music off of the radio with cassette tape. Uh, but oftentimes I would DJ my own cassette tapes. Nice. I am now a podcaster. I'm sure there's a correlation somewhere in here. At one point <laughs> you, you, you figured out what the record button did and you, and you never left. Pretty much. Yeah. A little bit later in life, uh, as a gamer, as a kid who was a gamer, who got picked on a lot for being a gamer growing up, I got my ass kicked as a kid for being a gamer. Like, I was that nerdy kid who played Nintendo and got my ass kicked for mm. it. Um, because I always carried video game magazines around me, with me everywhere. Like, I was, uh, that, I, that's what I was into. Um, I found friends in high school who were gamers uh, like I was. Uh, shout out to Jason John. If you're listening to this, you guys are awesome. Um, we started a lot of traditions back then as gamers, as, as gamers are wont to do uh-huh. some of the traditions we have, I don't do anymore. Like, um, and most, mostly because I don't use physical media, but back then, whenever I beat a game, I would 
sign and date it with my friends. Yeah. So if you go through my video games that I still have, there's a story to almost every game back then. Nice. I can tell you who was there, what, you know, what we were doing at the time. I have those memories that maybe devalue the game because I have written on the disc or the cartridge, but those are my memories. Yeah. Valuable to you. Right. But one of the other traditions that we started was E3 together. That no matter what age we were at that point, we'd probably take a day or two off of work. And very rarely, by the way, in our friends group, do, or we were we people that took time. And this is not healthy. We are not bragging. This is a unhealthy practice to please take time off. They give it to you. Please take, take time, time off. Take all your time off yes, every year. Please, absolutely do. Um, but we would take a, a day or two off. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and that was hey, it's E three. Even if we have not seen each other for a year or two, it was like hey, do you want to get together for E three this year? And that's what we do. Yeah. We'd get together and that week we would just be friends. We would just watch trailers and be kids. Mm-hmm. Even when we were adults, yeah. we would be kids, big eyed, like stars in our eyes, staring at these trailers. And every single E3 reminded us why we loved the thing that we loved, which was gaming. Mm-hmm. There, uh, We will come back to this, but there's a reason why... Uh, I think it was a year or so ago, maybe it was E3 or maybe it was, uh, I think it was actually the uh, Game Awards. We were watching the trailers mm-hmm. and there was a trailer for Diablo. It was yeah. Diablo Diablo 4, oh, okay. but we didn't realize it was Diablo 4. We uh, thought it was Diablo Immortal. Oh, yeah. And at the end of that trailer, we, like, we were talking and, and we said, it's really sad that, that it's come to a point where we see a trailer for something and because the games industry has become kind of toxic in the way that it has, a trailer that normally would have filled us with like excitement and hope and oh my god it's diablo 4 we've been waiting so long for diablo 4 hurt us because we were we saw a different version of diablo that was taking advantage of the people playing it yeah so e3 what did did it mean to me growing up personally um i still think there's a a very good possibility that i would be doing this show if there wasn't an e3 because Mm -hmm. of what i said at the very beginning of this which was you know radio yeah um but at the same time I think us doing this podcast, me doing this podcast personally, starting 10 years ago, back when there weren't a lot of podcasts, believe that or not, <laughs> um, was, it was wish fulfillment. I hoped someday I could go to E3. Yeah. Going to that movie theater here in Austin and watching the Sony presentation is the closest to E3 that I've ever gotten. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard the bad things. I know the bad things that went on, that go on at E3, the, yeah. the, the, the funk and the, just how annoying it is to go. They're standing in line for hours and hours right. to play a 10 minute demo. Literally yeah. like developers lying to your yeah. face. Let's uh, not forget the entire era of booth babes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's that. But, but E3 was a way that once a year, no matter how old I got, was a chance to hang out with my friends and be a kid again with them. And that is what it's meant to me growing up. Um, What are some of the things that you always looked forward to when it came to E3? I mean, a little bit to piggyback on your point, it was pretty much exactly that. The older we get, and even now, and, 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 you know, like, I I am not a, I'm not a religious person in any sense, but God bless Jeff Keighley for having the same and it feels like the same i've never talked to the man the the same idea that the things that we love when we're kids the things that we can still celebrate now because we still love them they they kind of keep us young Mm -hmm. you know and the the, the keeping that love alive lets you connect to a piece of yourself that does feel innocent it does feel childlike and Mm -hmm. then yeah that that diablo 4 trailer did break my heart too Mm -hmm. like 
that that's that, 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 that's the big thing and having ha, still having a little bit of that left as e3 fails to evolve and dies this gruesome very public death mm. is uh you know it's it, it's it's tragic but but it, but it, there, there's still the hope of that e, e, the, the 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 ability to connect with a part of myself that isn't about bills or taxes or the god awful fucking politics we're all living through, right? Um, but just like the joy of, of of not being able to wait to play, you know, something that you're really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, that part of my life, I I wouldn't give up. Mm-hmm. And E3 was a big part of me connecting with that part of myself. Mm-hmm. When I think about the question, like. What are some of the things that I looked forward to when it came to E3? There's one thing that it really stands out the most in my mind. If, if you said like one thing, name one thing at E3 that always stood out to you. Let me tell you about those console reveals. Mm. Anytime there was a console reveal, it was the most amazing thing in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let, let's like, not forget how competitive these consoles were, right? So right. They would- you know, it just it, these two mega corporations just doing their absolute best to fucking dunk on each other as yeah. hard as they possibly could. Like E three has such a rich history that if you play the game game dev story, they directly reference something that actually happened in E three. So to take you back in time, we have a situation in which Sony is about is working with Nintendo on developing a disc system, mm-hmm. a CD-based system. Yeah, for the for, 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 Nintendo really, for Nintendo console. Like the day before E3, Sony pulls the fuck out and says, "We're not doing this anymore," and then announces the PlayStation. Yep. Like these were epic grudges. The absolute audacity of right. this disc-making, CD-player-producing bitch. Yeah. To like jump into Nintendo's circle that that like only they live in and mm. only they control. When Sony came out and announced a console, the world stopped for a second. Like, yeah, who the the uh, the lion, the witch, and the audacity of this bitch <laughs> for real that Sony jumped into this. And then you had Microsoft have yeah. the balls to jump into the console race. Mm-hmm. This was a this was a, a thing that it's only fucking. Nintendo and Sega were a part of for yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. Like two Japanese, you know, companies that, you know, used to make children's products. Yeah. Like, they were all children's products. They used to make playing cards. Yeah. And, and, and figurines. And now they're just going head to head in this like technology superpower in a time where it was it, it, it economically viable to make a computer that put out more graphics and processing power and have it be cheaper than an at-home computer. Mm-hmm. Like, like this was like really cool and real, real engineering and things that moved computers forward generations at a time every time yeah. it happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you talk about things that I look forward to when it comes to E3, console announcements, man. Yeah. Like obviously game announcements is like the number one thing that you want for E3, but those console announcements, oh, yeah. they went Big and, and and but my favorites are there's two stories and the story repeats itself. Mm. So I will I'll start with the first one. But when um we the Sony was there and everyone knew and this was back when E3 was way more of a business conference than it was a game right. Showcase. It used to be very much a trade show. Yeah, it was an absolute trade show. Everyone had everyone there had pocket protectors mm-hmm. and they were either engineers, programmers, or management mm-hmm. and. All the way back to like when they were talking about the PlayStation 2 and what it could do. 
Nintendo had just like, you know, announced that it was going to put out something and like do some big things. Mm. And uh, the PlayStation came out and it's like, we have this PlayStation 2, here Mm. we go. And they start announcing prices Mm. and PlayStation undercuts the competition by a hundred dollars for their console. oh yep and you get this tiny little audience of nerds there's like like wall-to-wall glasses and pocket protectors and they're all out of their seats and they're applauding and they're like woo 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 yep. you know they're happy and you're like damn that's good news yeah i can buy this uh this playstation for way cheaper than mm-hmm. i can get their competition for like three ninety nine as opposed to like five. I think it was two ninety nine versus three ninety nine yeah. at the time. Um, Which, by the way, in money back then, way more than it is now. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So then we come all the way full circle to the PlayStation Four, mm-hmm. coming off the heels of the PlayStation Three, that six hundred dollar monstrosity, monstrosity that would you know, yeah, you could program the world with it. But you know you needed you couldn't program a, a game for it. You needed a PhD in the PlayStation Three to program for it at all. Yep, and you know it cost six hundred dollars versus the Xbox is like either five or four hundred. Yeah, it was like four ninety nine or three ninety nine. Yeah, something like that. and the PlayStation was fucking five ninety nine. Yeah. period. Like, like that was all you got. So we get to the place all the way to the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. And Xbox One comes out and it's like, we're the fastest. We're the best. Here's all our games. And boom, we're going to meet the competition where they live. And we're going to hit them because our console's so badass. We're going to hit them at $5.99. And people are like, okay, cool. Yeah, keeping the status quo. We get it. The PlayStation cost that like six or seven years ago. Mm. But then again, you're, you're obviously pumping out more pixels. Great. PlayStation shows up. Now, what it has been several years later is the E3 audience. You're talking about, you know, the 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 the, the, the fucking E3 stadium, this big, you know, San Diego Comic-Con yep. stadium, the, the, the convention center full of people. And I'm talking like... Press, uh, civilians, you know, competition, programmers, everyone is there. People who love video games from throughout the world. Journalists from Australia, from Europe, from Japan, from, from everywhere where they play video games. Sitting in that audience, waiting for PlayStation to be like, here's the PlayStation 4. And they show it off, and they show the amazing games and what it's capable of, and how fucking awesome Nathan Drake looks now, mm-hmm. and all of that cool shit. And they do the exact same thing. Someone just walks up on stage and he's like, $4.99. Yeah, literally just like, you're right, just loses it. They blew the fucking roof off of that stadium. And like, say what you will about the console wars and say what you will about which console is better or worse. We all have our opinions. But these moments are what made E3 for me. Mm -hmm. Just watching one company completely. Let's not forget the the year. That Sony or Sega came out, gave a big old presentation about the Sega Saturn, Mm -hmm. and then went, by the way, it's in stores now. Yeah. And everybody went, wait, what? It's, yeah. Like, as a bunch of people probably got up to leave. Right. They're like, oh, I can go buy this thing right now. And and, and in the history of video games, by the way, if you didn't know this, these stores were underprepared for this announcement. Oh, yeah. They had, like, maybe a handful of these consoles throughout Toys R Us's and Walmarts and shit. Yeah. They they probably got a box that said, don't show this to anyone until this day. Right. Yeah. And then they just got absolutely slammed for the dream or for the the Saturn at that point. Mm-hmm. These are the things that made E three, and a lot of these things will still be recreatable using other venues. Yeah. But E three just it had a it had a tradition. It was that thing that had been around forever. 
Yeah. So, so let's, I mean, I think we need to dive into though. What's happening now. I would say before that, yeah. what do we think some of the problems E3 had or started to have? I know you touched on booth babes before. That yeah. was a fucking problem. That was a whole era. That goes all the way back to like the Spike TV era. Of, yeah. I, mean, like, I think it was back awards. to like the seventies and eighties of trade shows. That was just yeah. literally adapting it from that, that culture of going to Vegas and there's always booth babes at like, yeah, like CES like, hey, and this, stuff. This woman in a bikini, it, it, you know, wants you to walk over to this booth. So she's going to lead you by the hand and look at right. you in the eye and you're going to walk over here and she's going to be like, Hey, you should buy this. And then you might. Yeah. And, and it's a very effective marketing tool to people who are not prepared for that to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. E3 has like, I, I like E3 is to blame for things like there not being enough consoles. Mm-hmm. E3 set the stage for like, you know, there was a massive PlayStation 2 shortage when it came out. Mm-hmm. And it was because E3 fucking blew the media away with what it was doing mm-hmm. and everyone rushed to buy it and they couldn't keep them on the shelves. Mm-hmm. The same is true with console after console. This happened to the Wii. This happened to the Nintendo Switch. This ha- like like the, these yeah. these consoles sell out and a lot of that you can thank E3 for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but over time, yeah, there was, you know, talk of, uh, media corruption and like backstage things. And let's not forget the fake demos, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the stuff that we would see at E3 that was, uh, oh, here's gameplay from Halo 2. And it turned out to be an absolute fucking lie. Yep. Here's uh, remember that Halo 3 trailer where he's out in the desert with a cloak on. Oh yeah. That, That's not in the game. Yeah. That never happened. That's not real. Yeah. yeah the, 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 the fully CGI trailers that disappointed people, mm. the, um, alien, uh, aliens, colonial Marines. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, you want to talk about things that did not look and ship the way that they showed at E3. Yeah. So the, much. There was a lawsuit about it, I believe oh, specifically yeah. over that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what it became over time. That's what E3 became more and more known for, is like everyone watch your ass. When you watch a trailer, watch it with some skepticism. The same thing happened with Killzone 2. Like, not to just shit on everybody else. Sony played played a huge part in all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people, you would watch a trailer, and he's like, well, was that CG or was that gameplay? Oh, well, you showed us a CG trailer last year. Why do we There's a reason why when you watch things like the Game Awards now, there tends to be, if you look at the bottom of the screen, something that says, not actual gameplay. Yeah. Or, or recorded in-game footage, yeah. or recorded in engine. Yep. You know, or you know, they'll say like undoctored footage, all yep. gameplay, or something yep. like that. They they make sure now they tell you what you're getting because people yep. get upset and yep. they get upset because that should happen to them at E3. Yep. I want to go to the defense for something about E3 real quick. I know that we're talking about things, some of the problems that are starting to have. I I'm kind of there for the cringe moments. Oh yeah. Like yeah. there's oh. been a lot of cringe moments at E3 that you look back on and you're just like, yeah, that was really fucking cringy. You guys did that guys. Yeah. The, um, uh, and I don't like it when I see them because I feel the cringe, but in retrospect, that's you, just a part of E3. When you look back at all of the highest paid and like prestigious heads of Nintendo out on a stage at E3, trying their fucking best to play that weird Wii music game. Yeah. And, and like, unfortunately, incredibly unfortunately, trying to do it live. Yeah. And just absolutely, like, as if they had seven thumbs on each hand. Uh-huh. Just ruining the song they're trying yep. to play, the four of them, while the, the all being grown men and women over 40 years old 
waggling Wii sticks <laughs> into the air pretending to be on the drums or playing it in front of their fucking mouths as if it's a flute. It's just... It's, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, though. I, I, I will say something, it. though. As... This is one of those things that when you think you're the hardcore gamers TM, when something like the Wii was shown in E3, a lot of us as gamers collectively laughed at that thing. Oh, yeah. We were like, the graphics look underpowered. The Mm. controls look stupid. No one's going to buy this. No one's going to buy this. Don't they want to play Call of Duty? You can't play Call of Duty on this. Right. And then it came out and it said, Nintendo said, you know what? This isn't for you. Yeah. This, this is, is for literally this, everyone. This is, this is for everybody who's ever held a controller and made the controller move when they made Mario jump. Yep. And I've seen that a lot in my life. Oh, yeah. I've, I've always, always, since I was a kid, watched people older than me do this with their hands yeah, like, when Mario Yeah, jumps. just like jump it up and yep. yeah, move it up and down. Yeah, it's one of those things. Or the time that we saw the Switch and we were like, come on. Yeah, yeah. The Switch was a bit like, a, oh, okay, but like... Well, it's underpowered compared to the other ones. Why uh, yeah, would you want it to handle? Well, we all felt like it was the Wii U again and we were right. like, what are y'all doing? Right, but then it ended up being a giant blockbuster fucking system. Yeah, it did. So, yeah, there's a lot of cringe. Um, but there's a lot of problems that E3 started to have. I mean, you were talking about the corruption you were talking about the fake demos. Um, I'm going to point out one that, that directly affects us, sadly. Um, at some point, a lot of people started being led into this thing. Yeah. And that's including podcasts, who mm. people who just started little shows like ours. And uh, admittedly, I kind of hoped when we started our podcast, we'd be able to use that to go to E3. Yeah. Like, I am, I am the problem. Yeah. I, I get this. But yeah, when it stopped being about trade shows mm-hmm. and being that more professional environment it was it was difficult to maintain yeah and i mean like this these are the reasons that people started to pull out it was pre-pandemic that microsoft was done with e3 yeah when they were like it makes a lot more sense financially for us to just rent out the, the 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 fucking convention center across from e3 and do our own show there one time and let's talk about the finances of it now that you bring up that point yeah it is expensive for a so for a game company to go to E3 and have a booth. Well, it is it is it is considered the thing that you have to do to make your game successful. Let's let, let, let's like let, let, let me let me pull it back a little bit because obviously it's expensive to buy a booth at a convention center where every video game publisher in the world wants to be mm-hmm. in and then you have to make a bunch of advertising shit. You need flyers, you need banners, you need statues. A lot yeah. of them they have statues, you need lighting. Some of them had pyrotechnics. Then you need to set up a bunch of consoles that people can't just walk away with mm-hmm. with software in them that is like incredibly proprietary and not yet done that you need to make sure people can't walk away with Mm -hmm. above all of that you have to get your multi-million dollar game studio to stop what they're doing and finish a demo of their game while they're still trying to develop the whole fucking thing yep that's expensive a game that is probably not even close to being ready no years out most of the time and you got to stop everything yeah and make this fucking demo and that's not even talking about the games that we've seen demos of at e3 that never came out yeah like the castlevania dreamcast game yeah there's a playable e3 demo that we that in the last couple of years got leaked it was the playable demo from e3 and that is the only footage in like that you can play of this castlevania game yep. that somebody managed to go through a box and went oh hey there's that e3 demo I, i'm gonna upload it to see if anybody wants to see it <laughs> right a piece of anyone wants to see this fucking history right yeah like oh. you are making your game studio take longer 
because they have to produce a demo for a thing that they should be working on the game itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so E3 got really expensive. It did. It got very expensive. And and, and you know what else it did? It it, it kind of stopped being online as much as it should have been like obviously you could watch the the conferences online early there was a point where in the early days of e3 you could go see a lot of stuff online and then at some point the e3 got weird and they were just like nope we're not gonna put a bunch of stuff online well because it would cost them money to do so and they weren't making any money back from it and e3 was all about making money for itself right you know so like the conference was there because like people came in and they paid in and they got a lot of attention and they made money but it was really expensive for game producers who finally realized this 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 is not worth the advertising dollars our advertising dollars are better spent elsewhere um well you know when nintendo does their own state of uh, what, what is the nintendo one called Nintendo Direct, Direct, yeah, and then every other manufacturer follows suit. Sony has, you know, their state of play. Microsoft has their thing that might yep. also—I don't—it's not state of play; it's no. something else. Anyway, they all have their own. They do it whenever they feel like it. It's usually at least once a quarter, but sometimes it's just okay. We're going to show you this game that's coming out for like twenty minutes. Strap yeah. in. We love that shit. And they figured out we don't need E3 to do this. Everyone has the internet. Yeah. So at some point, why are you going to E3? Which kind of leads me into my second to last big question, which was, do we really think that E3 has any chance of coming back? No, absolutely not. E3 was literally canceled this year, not because of a worldwide pandemic, not because everyone was still recovering from the pandemic, not because um, a couple of studios pulled out. Uh, E3 was canceled this year due to lack of interest. Mm -hmm. Me. Media doesn't recover from shit like that. Yeah. If you, when you release a movie that is like the fourth in a franchise, the, you know, and and no one goes to see it, you don't make the fifth one. Right. When, when someone throws a ton of money into a convention center and like planning and like hires all the people to get this done and gets everything ready for it and no one's going to show up. Mm-hmm. I don't think they plan to do it again. I think what ultimately ended up happening to E3 is that there was a point in time in which it was just quote unquote known. You have to, if you're going to make money on your game, you have to go to E3. Yeah. It was the only advertising you you were going to get outside of magazines. And then at some point we all realized, no, you don't. Yeah. Not at all. We have Steam. You have personal websites. You can. Yeah. You have Game Informer. You have other avenues. It doesn't cost your company millions of dollars. Yeah, you have media twenty four seven. To put this in perspective, something that, that that game companies just do is, and I know this because we are on one of them. Mm-hmm. That if you are a journalist of a certain level, you are on a mailing list for promotional game keys. Yep. It it on any given day, and this is not a brag because we we use zero of them. Um, any given day. There's at least like five to 10 indie games that I can message somebody about that comes into our inbox to just say, hey, give us a key to your demo so that we can talk about it on our show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the reason we haven't done it and the reason I don't take those codes is because I think that it's unethical for not going to be doing the review like you're promising to do. Yep. But they exist. And if we ever get to a point where we can have somebody to review games for us, hey, I've got a pile. I've got a free pile of games for you to set on to review games for us. Yeah. Um, but we just, we're not there yet, but they, that's the thing is that they literally 
a game publisher, instead of spending all that money to go to E3, can get onto this mailing list and say, hey, which which uh, publications out there just want a free key to just review our game? Yeah. And they'll get 100 people. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's 24-hour media. There are, you know, let's not forget about things like Steam Next Fest, where every indie publisher can just, like, if they want to, release a snippet of their game, and Steam will host it for free, and they'll advertise it, and they will rate, like, which demos are doing the best, and, like, which ones they recommend the most, and which ones other people recommend the most. Um, you have, obviously, there's the Game Awards, but there's also the, 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 the Game Awards, like, Summerfest, too. There are... You know, even even PlayStation Plus has like a demo section now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have access to not only what games are coming out, like at the tip of your fingers, but you can also actually put your hands on them and play them. I The reason I wanted to go to E3 as a child was so that I could get my little hands on those games and just yeah. play them and know what a game was going to be like before it came out. Yeah. Like, I don't need E3 for that. No one needs E3 for that. And in a world where Jeff Keighley is somewhere in the same city as E3 going, hey, if you can't afford to go to E3, just send us a fucking reel of your game and we'll get it in. Yeah. I'll talk about it. I will say your game's name. And if you send me footage, we'll show some footage of it. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. That, that's like, like you, why would you go? Right. Why would you do any of that? Why would you waste millions, literal millions of dollars? Yeah. It, it, yeah. And this is what happened to E3. E3 didn't realize their business model was out of date. They didn't change. They didn't grow. They didn't evolve. And 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 they were canceled due to lack of interest. Honestly, Warhawk in, in our in our Twitch chat has actually got a very good point. He, he's, it says, E3 reminds me of G4. Better alternatives, no incentives for attendees or developers over other venues. Yeah. And that's true. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to G4. They tried to relaunch G4 and it failed. They had to do it because by the time G4 tried to come back around, we had Twitch. Yeah. G4 didn't matter anymore. We have people like Skillup and Stephanie Sterling, you know, who who we literally get games news about every, every week. Yeah. From both of them. Sometimes a week. This is what we do. Look look at us. Look at what we're doing. Yeah. What, what, you don't, you don't need E3 anymore. You you don't need that kind of media attention when you have all of us who can't shut the fuck up about video games. (laughs) Right. Even at a time where there are way more important things going on in the world. This is what we do. Just like E3, mm-hmm. so that we can just connect with a little bit of child inside of us. And now we do True. it ourselves because we can't fucking wait or afford for E3. Exactly. So let's wrap this whole thing up. Final thoughts about E3. Just top of your head, final thoughts about E3 in general. I mean, I would like to press the largest F I could find yeah. um, to pay my respects. E3, um, I mean, gave me a lot. E3 introduced me to a lot of game journalists that I still love to this day. Some very talented people. Back when um, Anthony and Ashley Birch were just doing kind of what we're doing now, mm-hmm. but in a vastly more entertaining way. Sorry, us. It's all right. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, and now, you know, Ashley Birch is the voice of Aloy and Anthony wrote, you know, the Borderlands game. Yeah. Um, th- there's, uh, you know, a lot of talent came out of there. And I remember watching them go to E3 as games journalists and talk about how the best part about going to E3, when you really talk about the experience, was going to Disneyland after. <laughs> right. Um yeah, uh, they, they, they gave us a lot, E3 did. There's mm-hmm. memories that I will never, uh, never, ever forget. There's, you know, a lot of games that I probably enjoyed more because I saw them at E3 like 9 to 12 months before I got yeah. to put my hands on them. Um, 
you had some legendary trailers. Not that we don't get great oh, ones now, but like, legendary but you watch like a, a Square Enix trailer from back then, and it's like goosebumps. Yeah. You know? Yeah, without E3, I don't think we have, you know, the love for Hideo Kojima that we have. It's true. Without E3, I don't we I don't think we have the mega hype that, you know, Halo turned into Destiny. Uh, you know, uh, the World of Warcraft, you know, the big mm. MMOs that, like, got their stuff. Final Fantasy XI. I still remember when we waited, like, 12 years for Final Fantasy thirteen to come out, and the head of Sony stood on the E3 stage and said, and now I want to show you some Final Fantasy fourteen And the audience laughed at him. Yep. They laughed at him. They were like, "Wait, you're not joking. You're Is making this- you're making another MMO. You already have one." No, no, no. The, the Final Fantasy 13 just came out and we waited 7 fucking years for that game yeah. to come out. What do you mean 14? Yeah. It came out like a year ago, you asshole. What are yeah. you doing? And then it was an MMO and everyone was like, "And also Whoa. it was bad." Yeah. E3 is this is like one of those fill in the blanks. Like what's my, what's my uh, phone's like auto words for this? Like E3 is uh. E3 is my childhood. E3 is my adulthood. E3 is my friendships and remembering to always play. Even as an adult to take the time to play, Yeah, to take the time to feel like a kid again, when we are overwhelmed and oppressed and beaten down by having to be adults. As kids, all we wanted to do was buy more games and play more games. As adults, we can buy more games and we don't have the time to play them. Yeah, if only I could play all the games I own. E3 was a chance to be around a thing that I love for a week and unabashedly just love it. Yeah. Right? Because when I was a kid, like I said... I was that kid who got my ass kicked for being a video game kid. Mm -hmm. But when I watched E3 in middle school or in high school, and I watched an auditorium full of other people as excited as I am for the Final Fantasy VIII trailer. Yeah. Fuck, man. I got to connect with people that I've never met. I got to feel that there were other people like me out there in the world. Yeah. And I don't think E3 is going away in anything other than name only. The legacy of E3 and the importance of E3 will be carried on by the other things like the Summer Games Fest oh, yeah. that are going on. But some, yeah, we are still doing it. That's a great point. We're still doing it. It's just it's not, got a not new name. called that. Yeah. So what we can do is we can let this one be put to bed yeah. and get look forward to the future. Mm-hmm. We still have the opportunity to watch these trailers and be kids again. Oh, yeah. We just call it something else. And that's everything that we have for the show this week. Don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg to become a patron of our show. You can head over to facebook.com slash gnggcast where you can chat with us as well as talk to me directly at gnggcast on Twitter. And until next time, for Hector, this is James. And for James, this is Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game. Good game.